Good evening, morning, afternoon, whatever the hell time it is, amigops. This is Mike from Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. This week, as every week, I'm joined by our lovely co-host, Kyle. But this week, we have a very special treat because I'm joined not only by Kyle, but I'm joined by wife of the pod, Allegis. The two of them have just returned from their honeymoon, and we're here to chat tonight. I actually do know what tonight's topic is. I will let them introduce it, but we're going to talk about this topic. We're going to debate it vigorously, and by the end of this episode, we will have a Kyle and Allegis-centric top 10. All right, guys, what's tonight's topic? All right, Mike. Well, thanks for that introduction. We are very happy to be back. It's been a couple weeks since, since we've had the pleasure of talking since uh, we were out of the country. So as you know, but the listenership... Well, actually, it's pretty much just our friends that listen to this, so most of them probably do know. <laughs> most of them were actually at the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be no surprise to anybody. We went to Italy for 10 days after our wedding, and the purpose of this pod is we're, we haven't talked about this yet with you, so we're actually just kind of like catching up and talking about the trip. Also, just to kind of like recap some of our favorite things about it, and I think what people can take out of this is if they actually care about us, like learn you know, a little bit about our trip. And if not, maybe actually just get some great tips for if they someday plan to travel to Italy. <laughs> we're not being, we're not like working for Italian tourism here, though it's going to sound <laughs> like we are. And then it, it, this works out quite well because you have some Italian heritage and have been there before. So you'll be able to contribute meaningfully, I think. Yeah. I think, Kyle, you're sort of inadvertently providing a nice little peek behind the curtain here, which is that typically when we do this pod, what we'll do is chat for a couple minutes beforehand, warm up the old the old vocal cords, see what's been going on in each other's lives, and then get started on the, the main topic. But today we decided to alter that routine a little bit because I have no idea what the heck the two of you have been up to the last couple of weeks. I know you were in Italy and I want to hear about it. Yeah. All right. Mike, where have you been in Italy? So I went, I have been to Italy twice. I went when Felicia, my sister, studied abroad there. So that was our freshman year of college, the spring of freshman year. We flew into Rome and we were there for, uh, based out of Rome the whole time. We took, I think a day, I think it was just a day trip to Florence. And on our way, we stopped in the Tuscan countryside a couple times. We went to Montepulciano which is a town that makes the wine that my family loves. So we went there. We also went a couple places just outside the city, like Castle Gandolfo, the people retreat. And then the second time I went, my family was there for my sister Nicole's wedding. And that was in Positano. And we went to a couple towns in the area. So those are the two places I've been. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. I think that you'll be able to relate to this podcast very well. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So we'll just, we'll just roll into it. And it should be noted that this is really hard to rank. And we've like... Pick things that don't really, like, compare easily. Yeah. But we'll do the best we can. Like, mopeds to spaghetti is a tough comparison, <laughs> but I'm sure you guys can do it. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny because a lot of people keep asking us what the highlight of the trip was, and for me, mm. it's so hard to pick one thing when you yeah. went to so many different places, but I guess, in another sense, that's what we've done here today, so... Soon those people will know what the highlight of our trip was. And probably more detail than they wanted. True. <laughs> so number 10, in Rome, we visited the Vatican Museum. This is something specifically inside that Vatican Museum. It's a very, very long hallway that's just covered in maps, like old painted maps showing Italy and its provinces and the ancestral family castles and homes that scattered that were scattered around the Italian countryside. And it was very cool. We spent probably an inordinate amount of time in that room in a building that also houses the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike, just if we I have a picture of it, I'll send it to you later. But we, as we were inspecting some of these pictures, saw a little tiny castle nestled between some hills that had your your surname on there, which we thought was cool. So you guys have just provided me a trip down memory lane because when you started saying this, I was like, room of maps. Then I was like, oh my God, this was the room where we went searching for my family's name. Did you find it? That We did. That is the coolest room. Isn't it awesome? It's so, cool. it, it's so neat. And I think it's interesting because it definitely, I think it puts a fine point on something that 
a lot of people probably don't think about with the Vatican, which is that regardless of your religious persuasion, the Vatican has a lot of really interesting stuff there that anybody could be interested in. And the maps are, are such a great example of that. Yeah, absolutely. And like, the way they structure it is that the Sistine Chapel is kind of the main attraction, <laughs> and that's kind of the last thing you see. Yeah. And they wind you in and out of all these things. In some rooms, you're kind of kind of just walking through but we spent a lot of time in the map room and you're right like there's a lot of artwork that you could be interested in regardless of your your faith or religious background there's some really cool famous paintings that we didn't know were there like the school of athens that's there i also forgot that was there yeah Yeah, right (laughs) like casually that's there you know yeah so yeah we, we really enjoyed that part you want to do number nine? Oh sure Number nine is one that Mike mentioned in his recap. Number nine is the city of Positano on the Amalfi Coast. So we took a day trip there from Salerno, which is just a city that is in that region. And we took a ferry over to Positano and hung out there for the day, relaxed on the beach. It was the definitely the relaxing day that we needed in a trip full of walking around and sightseeing and... Just kind of exhausting. And we actually saw a wedding happening while we were there. So I wonder if it was the same spot that Cole got married. Do you have any kind of description? There's, As far as I know, there's two main churches. There's one sort of down in the town, just off the beach kind of area down there. And then there's one up in the hills a little bit. So if you were looking at the beach from the ocean up and to the left a little bit, that's where the other church is that I know of. Mm. So the one we saw the wedding at was like just steps from the beach. Okay, yeah. so that's so that's not where Nicole got married, but that is a beautiful church. Yeah, it's like kind of incredible, like even a little kind of like what is now a little bit of a resort, like beach kind of mm-hmm. styled town has even a place like that has like this incredible old and beautiful architecture. Like yeah. no matter where you go, pretty much in Italy, you can see something that <laughs> predates our country by several hundred years. Seriously. Yeah, that's a that's a really neat spot. I think it's a place that probably over time may be in danger of becoming one of those kind of classic resort towns that gets a little bit overdone. But I don't think it's there yet. It's a really beautiful town. My family had a really cool experience there because Nicole and Steve actually became quite close friends with a a woman who lives there. And she was able to kind of help guide us just to be there and then to help with Nicole's wedding. So we had a really cool experience. The motto of our trip there was gelati e gatti, aka like ice cream and cats, because the ice cream there <laughs> is wonderful. They have that amazing, uh, it's not ice cream, but it's the frozen lemon ice inside of an actual lemon is crazy. Mm. And there are just feral cats everywhere. Oh, I didn't notice any on Positano. We saw some oh, in Rome. There were cats. It was like, it was like Rome was being overtaken by cats. Yeah. They're everywhere. Imagine how well they must eat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> did you stay on Positano or did you guys ferry in and out? We stayed there. So we so we flew. I, I'm trying to remember now. We flew into... Oh, boy. We drove through Salerno. I'm trying to forget which airport we flew into. It might have been Salerno, but it was somewhere in that area. And we drove from there. It's a little bit of a ride because mm-hmm. uh, you're kind of winding around the hills. Mm-hmm. And we stayed there the whole time. We took the ferry to uh, Capri and then to to Amalfi, but we stayed in Positano the whole time. But just to provide people with like a sense of what what this is geographically, Amalfi is a, a stretch of coastline south, like just west of Naples, basically. And what people say the Amalfi Coast is is actually more accurately like five kind of separate little towns, one of which the westernmost is Positano. Another is actually called Amalfi. There are a couple more in there. And then Salerno is kind of at the far east end. It's probably the biggest and most like developed of them all. Mm-hmm. So that is just so you people have a sense of like where we're talking about. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you guys went. It's it's a really wonderful place. Not Not like a ton to do per se, just beautiful sights to see and relaxation to be had. That was kind of a whole point. Like we were ready yeah. for a, yeah. a relaxing day and that's Literally all that we did. This is what we yeah. needed. It was, it was great. so awesome. Good move. I also think Positano is what you see if you Google Amalfi Coast. Like that beautiful it absolutely photo is. of like the yeah. colorful houses on the cliff. Like that's, yeah. Both Caroline and my sister Nicole have taken that photo and so I. <laughs> recreated it pretty, pretty admirably. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of gelati, 
Mm. Number eight on our list is gelato. Yeah. I'm kind of shocked that it's this low for us because we're big (laughs) ice cream lovers and gelato, therefore. And we pledged to eat gelato once a day, at least, Mm -hmm. while we were on our honeymoon, which we accomplished. Mm -hmm. We did that. Almost. I think we missed, I'm trying to think, we were there for eight nights. Mm-hmm. I think we ate gelato six times. We were close. Yeah, we were, we got a lot of gelato, mm-hmm. but it it definitely is higher quality there, and you can definitely tell the difference. There was one night we were disappointed that we, <laughs> that's how spoiled we were. We found a place that just served really good ice cream, and we were like disappointed that it wasn't gelato. Mm. Still delicious, of course, but... The sheer quantity of gelato available to us was the biggest delight for me. Because if you want good gelato in the States, you can find it, but it's not as readily available as it was there. Yeah. That was It's nice. really expensive and the portion sizes are small. Right. What were your flavors? Would you guys have go-to flavors? So surprisingly, <laughs> Kyle did not get mint chip every single time. I was it's a smart move I know. <laughs> in the gelato world. Yep. I only got mint chip. Our very last night. Um, I would not even have known that was available. Oh, yeah. I'm sure some of them were catering to the American tourists. Yeah, but I, I bounced around. I had I never had the same flavor twice, so that was fun. The, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, Stracciatella, the chocolate yeah, chip one? Yeah, so I was going to ask about that because that's, a, that's one that it takes a while to figure out what the hell it is. Yeah, that's true. It's not immediately obvious. Yeah. No. I always felt like we were in a more legit gelato shop if they didn't have the English translation mm. of the flavor. Yeah. Speaking of which, I think our finest gelato experience was in Salerno. Basically, it's like it looks like a deli and they serve ice cream, well, it's gelato, but like basically an ice cream sandwich, like this really delicious, fresh baked soft bread. And they pull the gelato out of these tubs with like a large, basically butter knife. And they just smear it on the bread like butter. And then it's just a, a, a literal ice cream sandwich. You eat it with two hands. They wrap it up in paper. It was, <laughs> it was as weird as that sounds. It was so good. I couldn't believe That it. sounds magnificent. It was I couldn't we our B&B host recommended it to us and she's like you have to do it while you're here. Barnatuno. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. If you're ever in Salerno, you can definitely get to it. It's all extremely walkable. We're like, "Okay, we'll try it. It's the thing to do here." I'm skeptical that this is something I'd actually enjoy like biting into ice cream like a sandwich. It was the best gelato experience we had while we were there in mm-hmm. my opinion. Also, the people that served it didn't speak any English, so you knew it was legit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to go back just for that. That sounds amazing. Either that or I've got a bunch of scally bread in my in my kitchen, and I've got some ice cream that's been in my freezer for about three months. So <laughs> this feels like I might, roll, I might roll the dice. This, yeah, this feels like a DIY right after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just hollow out a core of that scally bread. I don't know. I'm having ideas here. <laughs> so... That was number eight. We also yeah. stumbled upon a gelato fest. Don't forget. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Completely <laughs> oh accidentally. God. Yeah. So even though we only ate gelato six of the nights, one of the nights probably counted as like two weeks because you paid, what was it, like 20 euro <laughs> and, or 10 euro each maybe. Yeah. And you got this little booklet that had a place to stamp 16 different gelato flavors Oh and you God. could walk up to the stand and ask for it, and they would give it to you in a miniature cone with a miniature scoop. And the whole idea was it was a contest, so you were supposed to taste as many as you could and then vote for your favorite. And I think it was some like uh, international competition, even. What was your number? How many did you guys get to? All up, I have the I have the list right here. We can count. We got to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So. <laughs> Not bad. Highlights included strawberry and red pepper. That was very interesting. That's one flavor? Yep. I didn't, right. I that does sound I nice. I didn't really like that one that much. Yeah, it was it was a highlight just because it sticks out to me. People were really into basil. There were a lot that had basil in it. Like these are like Ooh. artisanal style gelatos. I I do like basil based like ice cream and and frozen custard whatever stuff. That's good. Definitely. The, my favorite, the one I voted for, was a Canadian guy. Most of them were Italian. This guy was Canadian, and it was like a like blueberry pancake type deal, or waffles or something. It was really tasty. Yeah, I don't remember. 
remember. Ooh. We realized after the fact that what we should have done was each gotten eight and shared so that we could taste all 16 flavors. Instead, we just got two of eight of the flavors. But, but see, I think this sorry. is an interesting study in your marriage because you have <laughs> kind of different options. It's all about cooperating, but the method of your cooperation is totally up to you. You could have had a really good plan and been partners in that sense or and what is I think greater keeping with the actual reality of your relationship the two of you could dive in head first <laughs> and do that <laughs> there's no wrong way to attack a gelato fest no, no. Well, we also took some pretty silly photos that I would recommend looking at if you're friends with us on Facebook one where Kyle is holding his gelato pretending that he is the David statue in front mm. of one of the uh, replicas of the David. Mm-hmm. Another where we're holding one of our empty cones up to the balloon that says Gelato Festival, pretending that the balloon is, in fact, the scoop of ice cream. So Ooh. We could probably tweet some of these Pretty out. artsy. I think we could yeah. probably do that. I like that. Like okay. our- we could we get a little Twittering going on. <laughs> so, obviously, Gelato, a big part of our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. All right. Number seven is back to Rome, our first stop on the trip. And number seven is St. Peter's Basilica, which also includes the square around it. So we actually, this was kind of a last minute decision for us. We started with the Vatican Museum, moved through to the Sistine Chapel, and then realized at the end that we hadn't really seen the main event yet, the actual basilica. So we made it there towards the end of the day. And it is both beautiful and gigantic. Staggering. just could not believe the size of this building, especially once you get inside of it. Like, you could fit four standard-size churches into (laughs) this basilica. And it's it's just truly astounding. It's alarmingly large. (laughs) I think we both discussed after we were surprised that we weren't having, like, a strong reaction, like from a faith perspective, it's more, like the impression that you get from it is more like an imposing sense of like the history of the Catholic church and like its place in history, specifically in this part of the world, which isn't a bad thing. It, it was it, very, very cool experience, especially like, you know, comparing that to what that is in this country. Totally. I think to quote Ron Swanson, say what you will about organized religion, but damn those people know how to make a nice edifice. <laughs> like that, St. Peter's Basilica, my reaction was exactly the same as yours. The sort of the awe of the beauty and all that stuff it is there, but it is surely secondary to the awe at the scale of the thing. I, I just, I, I didn't know. I, I think that's, I heard recently somebody say that like, this really kind of interesting and depressing statistic about the percentage of people who have seen the Eiffel Tower before they've seen the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. And I think we've discussed this, but in the past, you know, you heard about the Eiffel Tower, you saw a drawing of the Eiffel Tower, and then when you saw it, you said, holy shit, that Eiffel Tower is huge. And I think that, say, Peter's Basilica, maybe just because of the scale of the city it's in or the fact that it's once you're inside that it becomes so evident... That wasn't spoiled for me in any way. Mm. I had no sense of the scale and walked in and just my jaw dropped at how huge it was. That's a really good point because people aren't, you don't, you don't see a lot of people whose like desktop backgrounds are the inside of St. Peter's Basilica. You don't see it on a lot of postcards. Like the Eiffel Tower is a perfect example where when you see it in real life, inevitably it can be disappointing. You've seen it so many times before. Mm -hmm. This was something we weren't ready for or had preconceived notions of. So that definitely helped. Mm -hmm. Also, just a quick travel tip to anybody out there. (laughs) Make sure you have your shoulders covered. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I walked up there and obviously my shoulders are bare. (laughs) I don't have a shirt on and, you know, they wouldn't let me in. Yeah. That's upsetting. I'm sorry that happened to you. No, but in all reality, I was wearing a dress and uh, I almost didn't get in because I didn't also have like a sweater or some sort of wrap. But we sweet talked the guy and I got in eventually. It was really fun. He like... Don't around. fire him. His name was Enzo. <laughs> he like furtively looked around and was like, go, go. <laughs> it was fun. I like that. So, yeah, that was good. That was number seven, which brings us to our not top three. And <laughs> these are silly because there was really no part of this vacation that we didn't absolutely love. 
Mm-hmm. One of our gripes with Italy and Europe in general is that there's just no ice in the whole damn country. Yeah. Mm. That's a good gripe. Yeah, is coming from Allegis who loves chewing ice, and I just like having like really really cold beverages, even yeah. if it waters my drink down a little bit. It, you notice it after a while, and also just the fact that water is a little scarce there. We take it for granted that like cold water just comes with all of our meals in the states. Mm-hmm. So that's something. This is both a positive and a negative about <laughs> Italian dining. It's just that like, the sense of urgency there is just completely well. There is none really. Very minimal. Yeah, which is awesome. And and the only way it is negative in any sense is that like when you're ready to go, it can be very difficult to actually get the check and like cash yeah. out. So we couldn't figure out ten days of eating out every single meal. And we couldn't <laughs> figure out. Whether or not we were being rude by having to like flag down the waiter to ask for the check. So we, there were some meals where we had more time. We would test it out. Like, let's see if he just asks us. No, they never ask. You have no. to ask them. I think, I think you probably were being rude. It's like, it's a fine line. They're so weird about the freaking checks. But I don't get it. At what point did they finally just bring it to you? Well, and because they like, don't, they're ne- they, that is a staring contest <laughs> that you will not win. They will never crack and no, bring you the check because it, it's like closes. the height of rudeness. Yeah, that happened a few times where we were like, yeah. they're closing, like they're putting chairs up, and we're still waiting for the check. Like, <laughs> like we yeah. we have to ask now. Yeah, yeah. No, they'll get passive aggressive before they get to like actually saying where's the you know. Come on, get the hell out of here. Yeah. It was weird. We just, like, didn't quite know how to handle it. How to handle it. (laughs) It was was funny. Can I offer one? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you guys found the same. I'm just going to go generally. So the bathrooms. I have a big issue with having to pay for the bathroom, especially where my Italian coin or my Euro coins situation is kind of scarce to begin with. I didn't love that. I did not love those disgusting infinity rolls of paper towels i just have you did you come across those i'm, I'm not sure what you're getting at. dude these weird little life, but not in italy specifically yeah those the weird little bands that you pull them out of the dispenser and they oh. just keep reshuffling into the machine those are gross. kyle if you haven't seen this wait it's so hard to explain I'm this confused. concept because it makes like, no sense so you know how when you pull when you hit the dispenser on a paper towel the paper towel comes out you pull it out you wash your you dry your hands on it you throw in the trash yes well this is like a cloth like a reusable cloth thing that looks like it's on a full spin and it just as you pull it down it goes back into the machine uh so you're ew theoretically they wash it or something it's disgusting there's a lot of those (laughs) in italy i'm glad you avoided it but my last one this Uh is probably more personal but i had to use the restroom at one place and they like pointed downstairs and i went downstairs and there was just (laughs) a single like a single sitting toilet in the middle of a room it looked like the place like a cia black site there's just like a toilet in the middle nothing anything i had to poop to be clear i had had a lot of pasta and wine and just pooped in the middle of this room i was so terrified i've never been so scared in my life and i just while this was my experience i don't think that i'm alone in having had this experience i think you're probably right luckily that didn't happen with us but yeah yeah the bathroom culture there is is definitely a little different yeah the last thing and this is just us being american and being used to our our american habits but i guess it's not just an american thing but they just don't like do conventional breakfast there like yes. you, you can't sit down and get like eggs or mm-hmm. bacon or pancakes yeah. or waffles or toast it's just like get a pastry if you want to eat something before like yeah two Mm o'clock which like that's fine and it's cool to do do as the romans do if if you will Uh, but also at the same time like i like to sit down and have a nice hearty meal before my my day starts so that at times that was a little frustrating especially because you guys are walking around so much yeah we need that energy yeah i think it's definitely interesting that's the only way you can survive having you know pizza at 2 p.m and then seven courses of dinner at 7 p.m. <laughs> like otherwise you're gonna die 
But yeah, we ran into that with our family too, but it was sort of an adjacent issue, which was coffee because many members of my family guzzle coffee. And while we all love a cappuccino, cappuccino to us is an after dinner delight, not like a get my day started thing. So we, at the place we stayed, we're like three cappuccinos deep and the people just were very confused and probably kind of offended by it. It's funny you mention that, Mike, because that's number six for us. Ah, look at that segue. Number six is espresso. And I would just like to qualify to the listeners here. I am an intense caffeine (laughs) addict. And I have to have caffeine to start my day. So I actually get a little nervous usually when I go on vacation because you don't always know if it's going to be readily available for you. And as much as I don't like to be like a diva about it, it really is uncomfortable for me to just not start my day with caffeine. Like I actually get a headache. I feel very tired, etc. Although now though, going to Italy, I would like to say I am totally on board the espresso train. Yeah. I love it. I love everything about it. It's now, can great. I just pause for a second? Are we talking espresso-based drinks or are we talking like true espresso culture? Because I think that's an important distinction for you to make. I'm talking true espresso. Like we wow, almost look every at you, day. You sophisticated. I know. I love it. We even bought a bunch of espresso cups with the intent of wow. buying an espresso maker. I got really into it in the nine days that we were there. Oh, I love this. This is great. This is what Italy's for. Well, it's also just so efficient though. Like no one walks around carrying giant tumblers of coffee because they all just go to a cafe throw back an espresso while standing at the counter and then leave and get on with their day. And so you've had a tiny little bit of liquid, but with the same amount of caffeine content, it only took you like 30 seconds and only one euro. I'm just, I love everything about it. I think also what you're alluding to is that since you've drink like had like two fluid ounces of liquid, you don't have to like, pee insanely badly shortly thereafter. It's an excellent point. Very uh, effective when you're on vacation to not have to pee all the time, especially with the bathroom culture we just discussed. Mm-hmm. So these are, Wow, these connections are just all over the place. Yeah. I'm so supportive of the notion of less liquid because, as you two know, my bladder is embarrassingly out of proportion with the rest of my body, <laughs> and so I have to pee a lot. Um, I will just say as a sort of an aside, this is pointed out to me. I'm, I don't know if we have any listeners in the audience who are in the medical community, but you've already made several revelations where I think we're probably going to get people writing in like, Allegis, I want to diagnose you with A, anemia because of the ice chip chewing and B, (laughs) some sort of caffeine addiction. Like you will be getting advice. This is the life that Kyle and I lead as celebrity podcasters. It's difficult. (laughs) People want to interfere in your in your shit, and I have to imagine that they're going to start interfering in your shit, too. I don't know. You guys would be proud. I was at two or two and a half cups a day before leaving for Italy, and mm-hmm. I'm now down to one cup a day. I'm proud to say. I Is think- it one cup of pure espresso? <laughs> Are you doing like a red eye now? What's your deal? No, I'm back to regular American drip coffee now until mm. I've purchased my espresso maker, which is probably still going to happen. Yeah, for sure that will happen. One thing I would like to say as an amateur coffee drinker, someone who dips his toes into the coffee pool per se, you know, if you will, I'm a decaf coffee drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to put cream and sugar in it. I'm not, you know, I'm on the periphery of this world. One thing I do like about espresso, even though it's pretty intense, it frees me from the awkwardness that I never know how to handle with actual coffee because there's like a there's like a forty second window where I can drink coffee because when you first get it it's too fucking hot yeah then you have forty seconds when you can drink it this whole cup and then it's too cold espresso frees you from these bonds it's pretty much served at the right temperature you throw it back and you're done that's a really great point I do have one other one final espresso question because it connects with number eight gelato are you guys familiar with or did you have affogato anywhere? that rings a bell what is that so it's a dessert where basically it's it's gelato with espresso poured over it Mm. oh i've had that in america foolishly we did not have it in italy where it was probably much better well anywhere you have it it's a pretty delightful combination (laughs) yes probably a little better in rome Mm. 
I'm sad we missed that. Yeah, that mm. was silly. I had espresso flavored gelato. That was tasty. Well, we'll get to That's this later. But I also was kind of averse to the espresso after dinner thing because they eat dinner so late that I just felt weird eating or drinking espresso at like 11 p.m. It just I found, though, it's easier for your body to metabolize espresso at that time of night when it has roughly 2500 calories worth of pasta in it yeah (laughs) my body my body doesn't even bother to process the the caffeine at that point it's like i'm just gonna send it through with this batch just (laughs) pass it right through and that's how you end up you know cia black site pooping in the middle (laughs) in rome stumbling and like taking your pants off as you like stumble down the stairs (laughs) horrible so that's number six number six Number five. Number five is a day trip that we did out of Florence. So Florence Mm -hmm. is north of Rome. It's probably like halfway between Rome and like Torino, like the north, northern parts of Italy. We did a day trip directly west out to the coast, a little area called Cinque Terre, which translates to like the five Erds or it's basically five tiny little fishing communities right along the ocean. It's pretty close to Pisa. And what's cool about it, it's, we said that Amalfi is like five communities kind of spread out along the coast. This is like, if you like shrunk it down to the point where you could like feasibly hike between all of these tiny little fishing villages right next to the water. And that's basically what it is. And that's what people like to do is like hike between all these different little tiny communities. We didn't do the whole thing. We realized it would have taken you basically all day to do it, but we hiked between a couple of the tiny little villages and it's stunningly beautiful to be like hiking through these cliffs, like right next to the water. And these villages have like these tiny little, like haphazardly stacked buildings that all have really bright, distinct colors because fishermen want to be able to see from the water, which their house is. So they're brightly colored. It's the birthplace of pesto yeah, sauce. Pesto. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So we had I a love really... pesto. Who doesn't? So we had a real Quinn. Uh, if you're listening, Quinn's a big pesto <laughs> fan. It was as delicious as you would hope for the birthplace of said sauce. And really good seafood. Yes. I had a really, really tasty shrimp shrimp, um, scampi. shrimp scampi. Yeah, it was just a really pleasant day. It was a couple hours via bus. We spent all day kind of traversing. And there's trains that can take you between them as well. It was touristy, but not overly so. We got a good sweat in, walking around, enjoyed a beer by the beach. It was just a really nice day. And then took the bus back into Florence and... Very well managed, uh, delightful little trip that we got recommended to us uh, by my sister Erin because she had studied abroad in Florence a couple summers ago and had done the same trip. So mm-hmm. highly recommend that, that one. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think the nice thing that this this anecdote reveals is the cool one. The cool thing about Italy is that it feels like it's everybody's place. It's such a common vacation de- destination, but has so many different delights. That everybody kind of has their own angle on it, and you can kind of cherry pick, because I know that your friendship with Jameson was instructive in the Florence part of this. Having Aaron talk to you about Cinque Terre is pretty cool. I know I mentioned how much I enjoyed Positano. Like, you kind of can cherry pick and, and kind of choose your own adventure from all of your people you know who have done this stuff, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and anecdotally, like we had so many people give us recommendations, and it was impossible to do everything that everyone told us. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're right; like it, it's kind of cool that you can talk to 30 different people who have gone to Italy and hear close to 30 different things recommended. There's so- always very positive. No one has anything bad to say about Italy. Yep. So that was number five. Do you want to do number four? Sure. So number four, as you mentioned, Jameson is very well versed in some of the more historical stuff. So he's probably going to be upset that I don't know much about the history of this item. But number four is the Duomo Bell Tower, specifically, in Florence. So Um, we went to all the sites that are related. So the Duomo, the Baptistry, the Bell Tower. But the Bell Tower is really cool because you can climb up to the top and it's really skinny staircases winding all the way and when you get to the top it's a really awesome view of Florence with all of the you know the orange terracotta roofs as well as a cool close-up view of the Duomo itself which is like the dome cathedral building we were surprisingly not as astounded by the interior of the Duomo itself 
but the exterior architecture is beautiful. So going up in the bell tower and being able to see the Duomo up close was really cool. Yeah. The, I, I like, I couldn't get enough of like the feeling that I got from the bell tower because the Duomo, just to give you an, a sense of it is like the literal center of Florence. Like all of the major roads are kind of like wheel spokes out of it. It's the hub and like you said, we were like in these tiny little passageways going to the top of this bell tower. We can barely fit two people through them. And as we walked around Florence, you're at street level and you can't see all these rooftops. It's a lot of gray stone at the, at the street level. And then when you get to the top and like look out over the expanse of the city, it literally feels like you're above the clouds because it's like a totally different view from above than it is below. It's a really cool sense. And then just from a, like a, like a practical standpoint, the bell tower actually rings and Florence is different than in Rome and that it feels a little less touristy and a, a little less produced. And so like, I just, I don't know, I'll never forget. Like we were just sitting right next to the Duomo and the bell tower enjoying a, a an afternoon drink. And like this bell tower just started tolling and it felt like so, medieval and just like authentic like i could feel what it felt to live like in florence like hundreds and hundreds of years ago it still has that sense to it and like this bell tower like kind of exemplified that for me it was really incredible i loved it that sounds magnificent i i remember thinking it was quite something but i think that your description probably is should be the final word on it (laughs) Yeah, I, it was it was really something else, and and that's not taking anything away from the cathedral itself because it's one of the greatest architectural <laughs> achievements ever. It's one of the first domes ever constructed of that size. But yeah, we were kind of like taken by its little its next door neighbor there in the bell yeah, tower. So surprisingly, we can we can rapid fire go through some honorable mentions here. We don't want to dwell too long on it. <laughs> Speaking of bathrooms, <laughs> we were. We were really confused on the first occasion that we encountered the bidet, but I gotta Uh, say, I really like the bidet. (laughs) Oh, so you actually used the bidet? I sure did. Wow, so I I saw it, and my prudish American sensibilities were such that I kind of looked at it and was like, oh, and then just (laughs) passed it by, so you enjoyed it. Look. There's only so much you can do with the methods that we have at our disposal. You can, you can get 85, 90% of the job done, but if you want to be a completionist, the bidet is the way to go. And I really enjoyed having one at my disposal. We didn't have one in Rome or Florence, but our, the place we stayed at in Salerno had one and I, I used it. I used it a lot. (laughs) I wouldn't let Kyle put this at number 10. (laughs) I wanted to put it on the list. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> huge fan of the bidet at first we were like <laughs> you said something really funny you were like, we walked in and just kind of like stared at it and you were like oh perfect now we can use the bathroom at the same time because <laughs> we oh, thought no. it was a second toilet and then we were like mm. well no that doesn't make sense maybe it's the sink no it's a water fountain no there's actually a sink in here and then it clicked i said yeah. oh yeah so oh, yes all right so that was one the the ruins at pompeii it feels a little wrong to not put it on our list, but it's a stacked list. We spent probably half a day traversing the ruins at Pompeii, and we could have spent a full day there, probably. Quick quick plug, I haven't been to Pompeii, but I do want to know what I read a great book called Pompeii mm. by a guy named Robert Harris, who wrote the book on which the movie Ghost Rider is based. It's oh. about an aqueduct engineer in ancient Rome who is like, something's going on here. There's a story of corruption and also uh, the eventual eruption. Really good story. So that's my, not actual Pompeii, but other Pompeii plug. Speaking of Pompeii-adjacent stories, <laughs> I am convinced that I, I, I want to actually write this movie. I think an awesome movie would be like a zombie movie that takes place in like ancient Rome like near Pompeii. I, cause like that, just the whole 
like time we were there, it just felt like a zombie movie. Like should be taking place. Like all the different like tiny nooks and crannies and the ruins and all that. I think it'd oh, be a really I'm good. So movie. I'm so into this right now. Now the question is, would you bring Kit Harrington back? <laughs> Could you do a zombies not a zombie like set? So this is before or after the eruption. Well, I don't want to spoil the ending of this film that I'm going to write. But okay. Th- all right, all right, that's fine. We'll just get Kit Harrington though. That's all. Yeah, I think he'd be a good fit for this movie. Kyle was very into this. We yeah, started. I think it's a great idea. So, anyways, it, the last note about Pompeii is I think that what's cool about it is that the overwhelming sense you get when you're there is not sadness. It's not like, wow, it's such a shame that like this whole thing was ruined. It's more a sense of like how impressed we were at the state that it was in at the time of the eruption because like, there's an arena, like Coliseum style arena. There's like a, a, a amphitheater, an amphitheater, like a Main gym street. with a swimming pool in the middle, like really nice homes, all these vineyards that they still, um, they still grow grapes there and like the methods that would have been available to them at the time. To make wine. It's a really complete, like full city with like distinct zones and areas. And it was very cool. Really much, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I had admittedly never actually looked up any photos of Pompeii, so I didn't really know what to expect. But I think I kind of thought that it would just be like rubble while you walked near the base of a volcano. And that's not actually what it is at all. It's like an entire city still, basically. I mean, deserted, obviously, no one living there anymore. But there's so much still standing and so much to still walk around in and really kind of try to picture people living there that long ago that it was really cool so worth seeing worth worth the trip you can get there quickly via train out of salerno we're gonna have to keep moving kind of quick here we already mentioned the vatican museum with the map room there's a lot of other stuff in there too (laughs) apparently this is all the rage right now the aperol spritz it's the hot fruity drink that's sweeping (laughs) italy i have to say caroline it has been Aperol spritzing since far before it was cool. She she got into the Aperol spritz game from, like, her Italian grandmother and Italian grandmother's friends. And while she may get some shine off of its current coolness, I, it needs to be known that it's lame when she orders it. <laughs> got it. We felt really lame ordering it because our waiter actually laughed at us. Mm. But they were tasty. And they have ice in them. Yeah. So if you need your ice Ah, fix. valuable commodity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next, uh, our first night in Rome, we stopped by the Trevi Fountain, which was cool to finally see that famous place from the Lizzie McGuire movie. <laughs> yes. Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> Didn't you find it weird how like sort of discordant and kind of ugly the designs are? Yeah. It, it, it's Like it's ugly. It's kind of weird. It's mm-hmm. sprawling. You can't really get like a good sense of it at once because yeah. it's hard to get like a good look at it. Yeah. And it's also like an extremely congested area because it, yeah trevi literally means three roads and there are a lot of roads that oh. intersect there and so it's 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 kind of a mess but it's it's nice and it's romantic especially at night yeah this is a traffic engineer nerding out we i couldn't get enough of their transit stations they are efficient they are cheap they are fast we were able to get from rome to florence Florence to Salerno, Salerno back to Rome, and then back out to the airport so easily. So easily. It was really something else Amtrak could learn a thing or two from uh, Trenitalia. We really enjoyed the ease with which we were able to get around the country. This is something that maybe should have made the list. We were in Florence at the same time that a Netflix movie was being filmed. so We kind of stumbled onto the set and got shooed off, in fact. (laughs) Yeah, they were filming some kind of chase or crash scene right by the Arno, right by the river there. Mm-hmm. And so we actually saw Michael Bay kind of walking around and like telling people where to be and stuff. That was really cool to and see. Now, do you know Michael Bay by sight? Like, would you, re- is that how you knew or did somebody say, uh, shut up, it's a Michael Bay movie? I would like to. To flex a little bit and just say, like, I I know what Michael Bay looks like. And then... Why do you know what Michael Bay That's looks like? He's got a very distinctive look. He's got longer hair. And he, he has, like, long gray hair, right? And he, oh, yeah. And he always wears a baseball cap. So And he and the sunglasses. Like, it, he's got a very distinct look. And then it's actually spawned a conversation about, how, like, how many movie directors you could identify by sight. And I think there are more than you think. Like Zero for me. 
<laughs> I don't even think I could name more than like three movie directors. I bet I've got a, I've got like a weird list. I got like a weird long list of this now that I think about it. There's more than you think you would recognize. Yeah. And it was cool to see Michael Bay. We unfortunately didn't see Ryan Reynolds, even though he's starring. No, well, then he mm. posted um, on Insta or something, like three days later, him and Florence. So he was either there or we just missed him. So is this like Bad Boys 3, Boys to Men, or what is this? So the, the, the synopsis right now is a group of like billionaires fake their own deaths so oh, that stop it so that Jesus Christ Michael Bay it's a Netflix wait. movie I can't wait a bunch of billionaires that fake their own deaths to fight crime it's the movie is called Six Underground so look forward to that oh, one. look God. forward to that one in 2019 is he getting any budget like is this a they're in Italy it must have budget oh it look, it's Netflix they're just they're just shelling out the cash because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it, if you could, I would watch a Michael Bay movie if he had no budget. I just, I don't like him having special effects. <laughs> I can't wait for this movie. And just to see awesome. how they incorporated Florence into the movie. A place that we feel like we kind of know at least somewhat well now. So that, uh, and then last, the Coliseum, which is, it's really cool. And I think if you're in Rome, you, you couldn't possibly go there and not see it. Yep. It's cool to be in there to go up to the top and kind of imagine what it would look like all filled up. And it's especially cool to see lit up at night. Yes. That's the end of our honorable mentions. We can move on into our top three. Do you want to do number three? Sure. So number three is in Florence, and it is the statue of the David, which Kyle and I are admittedly not really art people. Not that we don't appreciate it, but we just have a hard time distinguishing one piece from another of what is you know, better or more impressive or more history or whatever. We just don't really have the knowledge to identify. Mm -hmm. The David is mesmerizing, just unquestionably the most beautiful piece of artwork that I have ever seen. It's just, it's astounding. It's like we couldn't look away and it's so big too. I don't think pictures do it justice. It's no. like, so it's in this small museum that has some other cool stuff, too, like um, a little history of music section with the first ever upright piano, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And then you go down this hallway with a bunch of sculptures of that were in progress um, by Michelangelo. So also really cool to see just like what these things look like when they're halfway done. And also it gives you a little bit more of an appreciation for the work that has to go into it. And then at the end of this hallway is David and it's on this pedestal and it's very well lit. And I don't know, something about it is just really, truly magical. It's really imposing. And the, the building was built specifically to display this statue. So it's in the middle of like a rotunda and it's just like, we stood, we just stood there and looked at it for like an hour. <laughs> like it's incredible. Yeah. The way it's so realistic, like the veins on the back of his hand and like just the, it, it's it, it, it's kind of silly to just sit here and describe it, and even looking at pictures doesn't do it justice. Mm -hmm. If you're in Italy and you're passing through Florence, it's definitely worth the time totally. to go see it. There's a couple of ignorant noobs like us <laughs> were able to get a lot out of it. I'm sure anyone with any actual artistic appreciation would be even more floored than we were. Let me ask a dumb question that you guys may or may not know the answer to. Is that one piece of marble? One piece. Oh my goodness. And it's, it's like, what, is it 12, 12 to 15 feet tall? It's huge. I just Googled 17. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah, and it, what's interesting is that actually he didn't start with like a completely raw block of marble. He didn't even choose it. It's actually a, a piece of marble that had been, a, had started work on and had been abandoned. He found it in a, the basement of a church basically. And he's like, hey, can I, can I use this? And they commissioned him to do it, and it stood outside of a church for a really long time. I paid a task rabbit to hang two cast iron pipes to my wall recently. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I realize I haven't worked as hard as Michelangelo, but there is a real disparity of talent in this situation. <laughs> this just seems really unfair. <laughs> Were you there when the task rabbit was hanging? The stuff? Are you guys yeah. like buds now? We're bros. We're bros. <laughs> he was he was terrific, but I just I can imagine the ancient me like standing next to Michelangelo, like 
Wait, wait, wait. So, dog, dog, you got this idea, right? Like, David, that's cool. You're doing that with used marble? Like, come on, man. I can't even tie my own leather thongs on my sandals. Like, and you're going to make this out of used marble? And he did. It's also pretty incredible to realize, like, the second most impressive piece of art that we saw while we were there was the Sistine Chapel. And it was the same dude in two completely different kinds of artwork. He's the best of all time, and he, right? He's, like, he's he the goat. He's the goat. <laughs> that is redonkulous. Like, that's just, yeah, that's just, even, uh, you know what? Uh, let's actually put aside the eye and sort of the, like, the vision and all that stuff. Just think about the actual physical dexterity and skill required for those two tasks and oh, think yeah. about how how different they are. Because I think for me as a, somebody who doesn't consider himself an artist, certainly not a visual artist, I... I, I kind of tend to lump those those things together. I'd say like, oh, painting, like be it oil or watercolor, taking something like collage, sculpture, architecture, basically any sort of visual art, I would just be like, oh yeah, it's the same thing, but it's not. Some of those require like strong hands. Some of those require delicate hands. Some of them require work with a chisel. Like working with a chisel is not the same thing as working with a paintbrush. No. No. It's very impressive, and seeing it in person really helps put it in perspective. Highly recommend that one. Mm-hmm. Number two, we're just going to globally say was the wine. I'm not really a huge wine drinker, or I wasn't when we got there, but now I think I definitely have acquired a bit more of that taste. One of our days in Florence, we did a wine tour out in Tuscany and learned quite a bit about kind of Italian wine and the different classifications of Italian wine. And then we had plenty of opportunity to understand the difference because we drank wine with basically every every dinner that we had. It's, and it's so cheap there, it's, too. It's like it's, water. It's cheaper than water in some cases. It's amazing. And it's so good. It's just so good. And we learned on the uh, wine tour that a lot of places will... Um, like restaurants will buy wine in bulk from a vineyard before it's even bottled, just like in a vat, like, you know, 20 liters of wine or whatever. And they'll buy it by the liter and then they just serve it in like a glass container at the restaurant. So that's why when you go to an Italian restaurant and you buy like a liter of wine, it doesn't come in a bottle. It just comes in like a container provided by the restaurant and it's just because they have vats of the stuff back there and they buy it from the supplier for like a euro or two per liter and then they sell it for like eight euros per liter which is still so cheap it's just amazing and it tastes so good i loved every second of it i wish i could drink an entire liter of wine with dinner every night I I really love that that was your experience because my experience was essentially the same. I just, it was so magical. It's so wonderful. I, my favorite thing my, that my sister taught me when I was there was that you never order a specific type of wine. You just get the house wine everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you ask them what the grapes are if you happen to particularly like it because anybody there will talk your ear off about the wine, especially their own wine. But I just, I think that's so neat, whether it's a restaurant or a region or even just a particular vineyard, they're really proud of whatever their wine is. Like, that's really cool. Everybody has this extreme Mm -hmm. ownership. It's not like, oh, we love this Bogle. It's, no, this is our wine from our region. This is how we do it. And this is, you know, this is what we do. I think that's really neat. It's it's cool to have it regionalized in that way. Well, and and what's cool about the way they classify Italian wine is that it has almost nothing to do with quality it's all about regionality so like yeah the lowest level italian wine just means that every step of the process has to happen somewhere in italy and then the next level up is like okay if you want to say that you're making chianti it has to happen in this region and then the next level up is they you know do some chemical tests on it to like really hone in on the types of grapes you used Mm -hmm. but what they really stressed to us was like just because something has the highest level of classification doesn't mean it's better than one of the lower ones. It just means it's more closely associated with a specific region's type of wine, which I think is really cool. And it speaks to another thing that I really liked about interacting with Italians is kind of the regionality of the country and how easily they can tell where somebody is from based on 
dialect and the way they say things. Like Florence is like forty miles from Pisa, and they can tell each other apart in an instant. And like they, I think it's just it kind of like goes back to that map room. The way like families are from a certain area, and like your heritage is very closely tied to a specific place. And and the variability in grapes, how you grow them, and like the the product that you get is so dependent on things that can change over the course of a few kilometers. Like place is very very important to them, and that comes through in the way they talk, and then specifically in this case through the wine. And I just think that's a really cool, a really cool thing to experience. Mm-hmm. I totally agree, and that was something that came out in my time in Italy too. Was the regionality of it is is so obvious and the strangeness of that national project kind of comes out where people are still hundreds over 100 years on kind of uneasy with the notion of a unified Italy like it's it's yeah. just kind of an odd project mm-hmm. and i think for me at least that that lends some perspective to that across the world like for me Italian culture is accessible because it's European. It's kind of, you know, related to my family background and, and I have like an in. And so for me to not understand that fully, when I say Italian, it's not all that meaningful a term for people who actually live in Italy. That's really instructive on how I think about the rest of the world. And I think it definitely explains a lot of the problems of Italy, but it's, it is really interesting that it's a place that is still together that instead of dividing itself based on those regional differences, they just really cheer really hard against each other in soccer. And it's <laughs> it's cool. And, and they pick on each other's accents. And it still is this unified nation in spite of, and in some ways because of all of these cool sort of regional differences. Well put, Mike. Which brings us to number one. Our favorite part about <laughs> Italy was... The pasta. Yeah. And just the food in general, but mostly the pasta. <laughs> the thing, the reason it's pasta and not pizza is because the pizza was incredible. Like, we, we never had pizza that was anything short of amazing. But we've caught up to an extent in the States where you can get relatively authentic Roman style, whatever kind of, like, you can get pizza that's comparable here. Yeah. Rarely have we had pasta here that's comparable to what we ate in Italy on a regular basis. You're so right. You're so right about that. I think, cause I, I think, uh, this is just my view, but I think the pizza ketchup is more to do with sort of technique and technology. Like if you have the right oven and you know what to do, you can kind of, any monkey can do it. You just have to have the, having the right oven is difficult cause it's expensive. Mm-hmm. But with pasta, you have to have this really funky, institutional, ancient knowledge slash patience. Yes. That you, that you, that you can't just say like, Oh, here's how you do it. And, and here's the equipment to do it. It's, you gotta have some old Nona in some back alley somewhere, like hanging pasta on sheet on the little rods and stuff. Well, it's funny you say that because our first night in Rome, our host recommended a place and it's basically like tucked into an alley, just like you said, off the side of some piazza and they sit us down right out in front and in the front window, there are these three ancient women just making pasta. We were there for like three hours and they didn't stop. They just made pasta Mm -hmm. the whole time and Mm -hmm. they had baskets next to them that put the pasta in there and lay them all. It was like... It was, like, where can you get that anywhere else? Like, it was in the product. That was, like, probably my favorite thing we ate there the entire time we were there. It was just penne arabata, but it was the greatest, one of the greatest things I've ever eaten. It was so good. And I never felt too full or sick or, I don't know, just everything seemed so pure and delicious also, the fact that dinner takes like two and a half hours probably helps. It's a very prolonged experience, but everything was just so good. We didn't have, we didn't even have a mediocre meal the whole time we were there. Just everything we had was so delicious. And, and that's not to say that you can't do that. You can't find a mediocre meal because in Rome, in Florence, anywhere you go, like you can fall into a tourist trap. But if you have, we had a good guidebook. We recommend Lonely Planet. Like if you find the right places and you know where to look, you can have some really spectacular 
dining experiences. And I think the pasta and wine being one, too, I think highlights the fact that that was, I think, what we derived the most pleasure out of our stay in Italy was just the the attitude around sitting down and just eating a delicious meal and spending time with the people that you're eating with. Like, it's you can do that here, but there it's the the way that you do it Mm -hmm. well it definitely it's funny how i think it's really easy to be annoyed with like lifestyle bloggers and the gwyneth paltrow's of the world because gwyneth paltrow's the worst (laughs) and lifestyle bloggers can be really annoying but they are right about something really essential which is that food and drink it's stuff it really matters but i think i think the thing that they miss is that it's not something you can just pick out and miss the rest of it um, you, you can't just have the food and the drink without the family and you can't just have the family without the food and the drink. You kind of, it's all, it's all bundled together and it's something that's really fun if you actually make a conscious decision that instead of having a quick meal, we're going to dine for an hour or whatever the amount of time is. And it's hard not to go to Italy and think like, man, what changes can I make in my life to do this more? This is like, it's impossible to come back and not find that attractive it's hard to square with the basic american pattern of life but it's also hard to be a human and go and not want to take some of it with you totally that was that was just 10 well more than 10 but those were the highlights from our trip things that we will remember long after we've come back do you have anything else mike you'd like to add like things you've done in italy i wanted to hear about your trip and that was wonderful that was exactly what I wanted, and I don't think we should rank, because I no. think, A, you got it totally right, and B, this was about the journey for me. Yeah, <laughs> as it was for us. I, we were, I don't know, we were nervous that this trip wouldn't be able to live up to some other trips that we've taken, but this is basically the perfect honeymoon, and I couldn't have been happier with it. And I can't, also can't wait to go back to Italy. Seriously, there's so much more to Italy that we didn't get to see, or even, like, I would go back to Florence again. For sure. We could have spent a month there. Yeah. Like, no problem. I actually do want to interrupt. I want you guys to have the last word, so I want to interject quickly, then you have the last word. This, it's worth noting that this trip was the honeymoon after a wedding, which I attended, so I would like as my major contribution to this to just note about the wedding. The wedding was amazing. Everything about it was perfect. Some of like the logistical things that you don't think about were just so perfectly done. For example, the size of the venue was exactly right, which I imagine is kind of a moving target because you don't know how people are going to accept. But when sometimes you have a venue that's too large for the party, it just feels weird and empty and it doesn't feel very fun. Sometimes when it's too small, it's too small and it's kind of a pain in the ass. This was the perfect size. So that's just one encapsulation of how perfectly done the logistics were. Like everything was like that. The food was really good, but it was also <laughs> simple. Like everything about the whole weekend was just so smooth. That's one thing. The other thing, much more importantly, was it was just a blast. You guys did a great job. You were there for everybody. You made yourselves available to your family, to your friends. It was for me as an attendee, just such a magical weekend and broke all the stereotypes of kind of the annoying wedding you got to go to. And it just was really special for me to get to be there for two of my best friends to see them get married and now to see them as a married couple. So that was that was really cool. And I'm really glad that that was the precursor to this trip. Well, thanks for saying that, Mike. We put a lot of effort into it. And it's rewarding to hear that it, that it paid off from the eyes of someone that attended and I don't know. We'd like to say thank you to you and everyone that attended as well, because weddings are as fun as the guests that come to them. So it was an honor to have you and everyone else there. For sure. It makes me very happy to hear you say that because we did put a lot of work into it, but we also just had the best time. And I was curious the whole time if everyone else was having the best time, but it was just across the board. Everybody like, you know, the fake we're having a good time thing. Yeah. And then there's the like, Yo, dog, I'm having a good time. <laughs> like, I had so many of the yo, dog, I'm really having a good time conversations that weekend. Everybody was like, yo, real talk, this is actually a really nice wedding. <laughs> Everybody loved it. That's so awesome. I love it. It was just, it was perfect from start to finish. I'm having serious withdrawals. As much as towards the end, I was like, tired of planning it and thinking I'd be so ready for it to be over. Now that it's over, I just wish I could relive it every weekend. It was just 
amazing. It was the best day. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, buddy. We're glad that we got to download with you in this kind of elongated fashion and hope that people can take something from this and go on their own Italian adventure at some point. Amen. All righty. All right. I'll talk to you next week if you're still keen then. I am. All right. Later, buddy. Bye. All righty, friends. That was our top 10 for this week, but now we'd love to hear your top 10. So please check us out on all of our available social media outlets, traditional outlets, whatever outlets we have. Check us out on Twitter at top10km. That's all spelled out, top10km. Our email, top10km, spelled the same way, at gmail.com. Or our site, top10km.podbean.com. All forms of communication accepted, except for serial killer notes. Please don't send us any of those. If you like the pod, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never have to miss an episode of Top 10 ever again. If you didn't like it, please tell us why. We'll try to make the show better. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod, and our artwork was created by Erin Sant. You can check out her stuff at Sant Design on Instagram. Alrighty, goons. We'll see you next week.